You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mudrunners, runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Kirk, do I look like someone with a gigantic engine right now? Do I look like someone with giant muscles right now? <laughs> so you're saying yes? Rhetorical questions. Rhetorical. Yeah, I cracked 30 miles last week. No big deal. NBD, is this, uh, this must be a milestone for you. Yes. So the last time I could run any amount of mileage was leading into Tahoe 2019. So the last week before my taper was the last time I ran over 30 miles. Coming out of that, meniscus was limiting all my easy runs, so I could only do quality days. And then that led into surgery one, which led into surgery two, which led into this. This is the first time cracking 30 miles in a week since 2019. Congratulations, Bracken. I want to know why Why did you wait so long or slow with your build? Because um, you went necessarily have to is it because you had other things pop up along the way post yeah it's just nonsense to nonsense going into jacksonville i prioritized pure intensity we saw that i didn't get to use any of that but i was always like 22 to 29 miles and then a lot of bike volume Mm -hmm. and then coming out into that i tore the calf and then coming out of that missed five weeks and then rolled an ankle and missed a few and then hit my doldrums and was just running a few times a week. So like I've had 16 milers in there. I've had 12 milers. I've had a couple nine and 10 mile runs, but there would only be one other run accompanying it that day or that week. So this is the first time I ran multiple days in a week in a long time and it felt fantastic. What is your carrot? Do you have one dangling out there that's relit that fire? I talked that I had talked to Rich Ryan and he kind of relit my fire. So since then I've been, you know, I did three days a week that next week and then four the next week. And then I was five last week. And that's funny. A little bit ironic is that we host a running podcast and I'm on like the three day a week plan and you've been on the patch job on and off plan. And I would say that most who host running, running podcasts probably run a little more than we do. But it's not by choice. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say so. Mine was more of choice. I I've, I could have been running bigger volume sooner, but the passion for the sport of running was there, but for my personal running wasn't there. And, and you know what I think a big turning point was, Kirk? And this is going to sound ridiculous, but dunking two weeks ago. I've had this, I'm afraid to run downhill a little bit. I'm afraid to cut. I'm afraid to roll my ankle hard because that travels up the leg a little bit. I still have a a little worry in the back of my mind that my chain, anything connecting to the knee is fragile and planting hard and dunking and hitting up, hitting the rim sometimes coming up short, jerking against the rim and landing awkwardly landing on one legged, two legged, the other leg. It erased a lot of my lingering doubts about the health and stability of my knees. And that, that really changed things. Like this weekend, I ran 14 on trails with uh, Tim, twinning the race on Instagram. He messaged me that he was in town and needed a 14 mile run. 
And so I met up for it and we ran technical terrain for about half of it. And I didn't have a, I didn't have a worry. And I would have had some sort of niggle in the back of my mind about that in the past. So that little getting in the gym and exploding and landing hard on hardwood floor, it kind of, I feel like it broke up some mental scar tissue. Mm, of course, you'd be a little gun shy after mm-hmm. what you'd been through. Didn't we just talk about this on a recent Q&A about not letting past injuries get in the way of current yeah. training? And it's like one of those things, you just got to go out there and do it. Well, that's good. Now my expectations for you this year are going to be really high, really high bracken. Oh, uh, it's it's just classic me. I get one week of of semi actual training and I start looking at races. So I got to pull back on the reins, Kirk. Long process. You know how you have your uh, your injury rule where if you're coming back from an injury or you've been a little nicked up, that you need to wait. Like the first time you feel good and you're ready to do something. Like run again, wait an extra day. In your case, it should be like once you start rolling with your training and feeling good, like wait an extra week or two before you make any decisions. Rich and I set some ground rules in place for me for things that I have to follow before I'm ready to start doing intense quality sessions and then looking at races. So I'm going to hold myself to those. What are they? Well, two of them are actual metrics. I have to hit... 12 weeks of base building and feeling efficient and light on my feet before I progress into workouts. And it's not whichever comes first, it's whichever comes second. And so the first is a very black and white metric. And the second is obviously a very personal metric, but there's that feeling that all runners get when suddenly they just realize I'm just clicking. My running just feels like it should feel my strides a little more compact. I'm turning over a little quicker. Every run, I I feel like, man, I could just turn this into a workout. That feeling of my body's in sync with itself as a, as a runner. I need that, Mm -hmm. that feeling before I'm ready to progress into workouts. Yeah. You need both things, not just one of two. Both shoes need to be on. 12 weeks of base build plus the body just feeling like all systems are ready, not one system's ready. Let's force feed some quality, all systems ready. And then I can progress. You know, what's funny about this Bracken, what you're saying right now um, leads into our topic today. First of all, without you even really realizing it, I feel like yeah, we didn't discuss this intro. No, we did not. So it's a little bit ironic and timely, but I do want to, um, before we get into it, I just want to dissect or just, just chat Asheville for like five minutes. Yeah, let's do that. It's a big, it's a big week. It's a race week. Um, and, you know, now it feels like the U.S. National Series is rolling. So I know you're not racing, although I do believe you are in some like Rich Ryan uh, side bet on picking performances. So I know you have some vested interest, even if it's just for like bragging rights. Oh, I have vested interest. Yeah. So what do you think? What do you think about the race coming up this weekend? I got a little intel from Steve Hammond, not a ton, but uh, what do you think? Broad strokes. 
Broad strokes is that I don't know what to think because we're at a venue that I haven't seen. The old Asheville, I just loved. I lump that one together with with West Virginia as some of my favorite jack-of-all-trades courses. You have to be able to run up and down gradual and steep technical terrain. You have to be able to bushwhack. You have to be able to run fast and flat for long durations. And you've got to be able to do some river and creek bed running. It's got everything. So it it rewards all skill sets equally. And so I, I think it's a great meeting ground for all the different skills. But I don't know this other Asheville that's not actually Asheville. I don't know that course. It is flatter than mm-hmm. this is the only slight intel I have. It is flatter than the old Asheville course. It is like undulating and rolling, but it doesn't sound like it's going to have any real sustained climbs. Um, and it's known to be very muddy, like a very mucky, muddy, gross type terrain. So I think it's going to be bushwhacky. I think it's going to be icky and sticky and mucky and potentially slow at points. I don't think it's going to be opening up and running on like an Eastern version of fire roads. I think it's going to be gunky, bushwhacky. I could envision West Virginia, but a little wetter and maybe the climbs aren't even quite as long. That's what it sounds like. And when you're talking a super, which is now only a 10 K you're talking like, there's no managing of efforts on climbs. There's no managing of anything. It is it is sort of red line right away and just stick it out as long as you can. But that's me putting pieces together on what I've heard about the venue. Okay. And I've heard that and I've heard that there will be runnable sections. Yep. So my broad strokes take is that we are going to, you can keep the Atkinses. You can just lock them in up at the top of the race somewhere and then you flip the the top 10 or top 15. That's what I think is going to happen. It's going to be the same 10 to 12 people, but a lot of them are going to reverse their position. I think Sean Roberts is going to have a heck of a race, even though he claims he's not, that he's going to drive all, he's going to work, drive all through the night, get there on almost no sleep, and then just get his butt kicked. I think we're going to see a performance out of him. I think the, like a Mark Botris, I think a, uh, I should just stop talking names because it's just going to be flipped. Anyone mm-hmm. who had something go terribly wrong in YouTube, I think will do well here. And it's it's we're going to see a different podium outside of probably the Atkinses. Yeah, what I'm trying to figure out is, um, you know, I thought that people would dodge Utah because of elevation. Some of the Flatlanders and people who live closer to sea level and then Asheville would be saturated. Uh, but looking at people's Strava, even this weekend, they wouldn't be going out doing the things they're doing, like uh, Johnny Luna Lima, Tyler Veerman. Um, those guys are doing workouts that I would highly, you know, stay away from if I was trying to get from one race to the next. So my guess, maybe an Ian Hosick's going to avoid it, that Asheville may not be as dense as Utah was on the competitive front. I agree. Um, and But I expected the opposite of that to be the case. And I'm only talking a handful of men and women that might be, not showing up to Asheville that did Utah. Um, but I don't know why that surprises me, but it does. And it doesn't surprise me because it was the last one added. And if we know anything about runners, I mean, I, sh- I should say athletes in general, but runners are very, very picky mentally. And if they just had locked themselves in on, I am in mountain fitness building through to then West Virginia, Tahoe, Big Bear type thing. A lot of people do not have the confidence that they can still go out and run fast and flat and maybe sloppy. And so I would I would assume that most 
people who are locked into that mindset don't have that mental flexibility to then just switch over and say, all right, I'm going to go run a hard 10K. So it, it doesn't shock me. But the people that will show up are, you know, the Kempsons, the, uh, I assume Atkins, um, pe- people that will just show up and race anywhere, anytime. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we'll see. But I think it's going to be, um, I think we're talking, you know, potentially a 45 to 55 minute race for the winner. And that's a, it's actually a pretty quick race. We're, we're used to seeing the old supers, you know, never, if ever, one under an hour, especially on a course like that. So we're talking like get out hot, lay it down, put yourself in position. And, you know, we did an episode not too long ago about big mountain races and biding your time and managing your effort. And this just isn't going to be the course to do that. And I think it's a course where if you get disconnected, there's going to be a lot of places where you can get out of line of sight, feel like you're further behind or ahead than you actually are. I just feel like I have a sense it's going to be a closed course at times and kind of like West Virginia can get. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see it shake out. It's going to be a lot different than uh, Utah, that's for sure. Yeah, we had the how to prepare for a big mountain race. And our big takeaway was you cannot blow up on the first climber in the first hour. You have mm-hmm. to have decisions to make. And I think the opposite's true in a shorter, sloppy technical race is you have to get out, burn something early to be in the group that's going through the sloppy technical terrain so that you can get out of sight and then match people's technique and cadence through there. You can be running the same effort, doing two different paces based on who you're running around. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be good to shake out. Are you guys doing a uh, prediction episode uh, again this week? Yeah, tomorrow, Wednesday, we're doing a uh, another fantasy draft. All right. I got smoked in the last one, Kirk. I took last, and it wasn't even close. Well, then don't pick me. Oh, you know I'm picking you. First round. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. that'd be a mistake. <laughs> Shall we start talking about other things, like uh, like like how to like be a badass racer? Yeah. How that happens. Yeah. Th- There is one phrase that we both mentioned before the start of this to describe this topic, and it is consistency is king. Yes. Consistency is king. We we, we were talking about Ryan Atkins' performance in Utah based off not being able to run very much, but his workouts and his body of work has just carried him through. Mm -hmm. And and we – I went out for – for a run and I realized I can still run long and slow, but I just couldn't race right now. And I've had no consistency. And then we have a lot of people talk and people are always searching for the perfect workout or the perfect plan. And they coach hop from coach to coach or training plan to training plan. But consistency gets you, I would say 90% of the way to your ceiling, just Mm -hmm. consistency. And we are at the point of the season where anyone who's not sold on their current results is going to be tempted to flip the script and try something totally different. So we want to talk about consistency today. Well, yeah. I mean, consistency trumps short-term ambition, right? You don't Mm -hmm. develop any real skill with jumping or hopping from idea to idea or training style to training style. And you know, I think at times, you know, we talk about hero workouts or swinging the hammer hard and all of those things. And yes, those are very, very important to do at times. But if I had to pick one thing over absolutely everything, screw swinging the hammer hard at times, screw these hero workouts, like consistency, like get up and put your shoes on and head out the door. Step one, right? And then make a plan and stick to it. Um, 
And and I think we saw that, and that doesn't even necessarily mean you're running shoes. It could mean your biking shoes or your ellipticaling shoes or your I give a shit today shoes. But like, you know, Ryan Atkins, um, you know, made a post uh, last week, which caused quite a bit of a ruckus. I would say some agreed, some didn't, but he had harsh words about like, don't make excuses and you should have been putting in the work up to this point and your results should be good because you had plenty of time to prepare and you knew this was coming and that did that. Now it's easy to say that as the guy who won in a chosen privilege situation with nothing but races to focus on, but he had some good points. And the reason it had merit was because he hadn't been running much lately uh, self-proclaimed and then it checks out, you know, Ryan hadn't been running much lately, but he was still consistent with his training and thus had a good result. And so even in his words, I wasn't sure what, how I felt about them necessarily looking at it from everybody's point of view. You know, you can look at it from certain eyes and be like, yeah, duh. But um, the fact that he was practicing what he preaches, not running a ton and then went out and won a running race, like, bleeds consistency and so i just thought i thought it was a worthwhile topic right now based on uh a few things so i'm glad we're chatting it out there there's that concept that you are the five people that you're closest with like you are you your you as a person your trajectory is determined by the five people you spend the most amount of time with and I would then translate that back to you as an athlete is you are a culmination of your last five years of running. Sure. What you've done in the last five weeks is the sexy, exciting stuff that people say, wow, what did you do leading into Utah? Or what did you do leading into the Olympic trials? But what you did there only is built upon what you did in the five months before that. And that is only built upon what you did in the five years prior to that. And that mm-hmm. is that piece that, that unsexy, unexciting grind that people forget about where it, the perfect training plan a may not exist, mm-hmm. but B the perfect training plan that is followed sporadically will almost always lose to a pretty mediocre plan that is followed every day for weeks and months and years. It's your body of work that allows you to sprinkle some spicy stuff on, swing the hammer big, and then race out of your mind. And consistency gets you to unlock all of those other pieces. Much like I'm saying, I can't unlock a quality, a real quality session until I put in 12 weeks of base building. Mm -hmm. We can't unlock crazy sharpening blocks or huge race performances until you've put in 12 weeks and 12 months and maybe even 12 years of building yourself up consistently as an athlete. We know what I find is like, you know, you have the athlete who gets injured, which I think most can relate to. You have the athlete who has a family, you have the athlete who goes on vacation in the summer and all these things. And you coach plenty of athletes and you hear these mini excuses all the time. I'm going on vacation. So my workouts will have to change or I can't do something that I typically would need to do or, um, I'm injured. And so I'm just like gallivanting through life and training and, you know, feeling sorry for myself and, and not getting any real work done. Consistency spans over all of those things, a family member passing and you have emotional trauma and you can't get yourself out of bed to work out. Um, consistency, some people are still going to get up and put their shoes on and go do what they need to do. And that's kind of what, like, yes, like I understand everybody listening to this podcast runs and works out, 
But all of those things add up over time, you know, a long weekend away and you don't train for three days in a row. Well, that's unacceptable if you really give a shit. A family member passing, heaven forbid, you want to take some time to, you know, to mourn, but you should still get up and brush your teeth, right? And isn't that what our sport is all about? Like getting up and doing what you need to do anyways. So I think that's like almost as much of it as anything is, is just like not having those large gaps, no matter the circumstances. And I think that's the message that like Ryan was trying to get across in his own way. So that's how I look at this and consistency. Cause I think to start this conversation, we have to define like, what does consistent mean? Right? Like I gave a version of it. What's yours? To me, consistency is, is not skipping workouts and not letting anything slide so that you always get to the next block of training with something to build upon. And we talked about that with our, our episode on perishable skills, how you can't let things slide lower than they should be. Otherwise, you can't build upon them. Uh, talking with Tim during our 14-mile run on the trails this weekend, I learned a few things about him. Um, and, the, and one thing that stuck out to me is that he is consistent. He was talking about how he's coming off of a poor stretch of training. He's really let himself slide a little bit lately. And I said, what does slide mean? He said, honestly, I've been sitting around 40 miles a week for a while. Now, Tim is a run streaker. He's -hmm. someone that has a streak of running. He hasn't missed a run in something like a year and a half. And and I, I don't know how I feel. I do know how I feel. I'm not a huge proponent of run streaks for the sake of doing it because oftentimes they compromise the process if you're injured or if you're sick or whatever. However, I respect the daily grind of keeping a run streak. And so his run streak, what it's allowed him to do is originally, if he could get out the door and run one mile, he kept his streak alive. And mm-hmm. now it's to the point where if he's out the door, he gets at least three miles in or 5K in because that's what his body's used to. So his consistency took him from a mile a day, which most people would scoff at, to now his shortest run he's done in the last probably six to nine months is three miles. But it's every single day. So he's guaranteed to have 21 miles a week just off of that. And he's got twin boys and he's got, or I, I think they're both boys. Anyways, he has twin four-year-olds and an almost two-year-old at home. And he's doing this. So my point is that his little bits of running each day and consistency has led to 15 months of consistency, which has led to the point where he feels a little down uh, because he's only been hitting 40 miles a week recently. But it just adds and adds until small things become big and and then big doesn't feel big to you anymore. Mm-hmm. You ever, maybe it's me, maybe you've experienced this, but I've had results in which in a race, let's say that I don't feel like I deserve at times I go out and I perform or I race and I'm like, I don't, I don't even know how that result happened. I didn't deserve that. I've only been running this much. I've only been doing this. I haven't been doing all of the things that I should be or need to be doing that. I know some of my competition has been. And then you think about it and you're like, but you know what I have been doing? I've still been showing up for myself every day in some capacity Maybe not at my highest capacity, but in some capacity. And your body holds on to fitness and doesn't forget about those things as quickly as we might think. So sometimes, like just putting some time in consistency has yielded really nice results in its own when you're not even doing anything special. And the problem is, is that often people jump from special thing to special thing to special thing with these like lame gaps in between uh, vacations or work stress or life stress. And that 
I would argue, yields much less uh, productive results than the latter or the former. So do you know what I'm saying there? Yeah, 100% right. And and I, I, I can speak to these things because I'm a victim. I victim is not even the right word. I'm the perpetrator of many of these things. A classic bracket is you go on vacation and you're like, there's this awesome nine mile trail here. And then you're at the campfire a little too late and you wake up too late. And now I only have 45 minutes available. I can't get the nine miles in. So I don't run that day. That's not you. That's classic Bracken. No, it isn't. That's the classic mistake I make over the years is that if I don't have time to get my intended workout in, I skip the workout. Mm, No, not always, not always. But when I'm in a weak place, when I'm in a mode of skipping workouts, that is how it manifests. It's I have a 48 minute run. Suddenly I only have 35 minutes. Screw it. The day is lost. Where Tim, Tim would say, I have a nine mile run. Okay. I'm going to go run for however much time I do have. And as a result, he scrapes by with 40 mile weeks, feels crappy about it. And it was 20 more miles than I would have ran that week Mm -hmm. because 80% of something is better than a hundred percent of nothing. Right. That's the old adage yes. of investments or or giving something away, a 10 percent broker fee or whatever it's going to be that 80 or 90 percent of something's better than 100 percent of nothing. And and that's what these people who are committed and consistent get out of life. Shoot, I don't have time to run six by mile. I'm going to run four by mile. Not the ideal workout, but I got my work in and it holds me over for another day. You've talked about, and it's just started ringing more and more true, that 14 to 20 day rule, right? You're not even going to start to notice any fitness erosion until uh, 20 days, most likely, and mentally more around 14. So what happens, what happens with one missed workout? Nothing. But does it? Over the course of, I miss one, I miss three, I miss five, suddenly it starts chipping and chipping and eroding. But by mm-hmm. the same principle, if you go out and get 35 minutes instead of 45, you stop that 20-day process from happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. the uh, Something that stuck with me in our uh, Stephen Menya interview we did a long time ago was, I am what I did two weeks ago. Do you remember mm-hmm. him saying that? Stephen already understood. I am what I did two weeks ago. So if you miss a workout now, where how does that manifest two weeks later when it's time to go? Very yeah. good question. I don't know, but like for but but I think like the consistency piece. Like if you look at people who do well in sport, you never really see long periods of time away, except uh, maybe pregnancy or something like that. Um, and consistency is devi- defined differently for everybody. We're not saying like like this Tim who you went running with every day does something, you have to define your own like realistic consistency. What does that mean to you? Does that mean four days a week, no matter what, because you know, it's just not feasible for you to get in more. Um, but like setting like an expectation and then holding yourself to that mean that's consistency at its finest. So I don't want you to get the impression that like, if you're not going out for hundred mile bike rides twice a week, like Ryan Atkins is because he can't run much right now. Like that's an unrealistic expectation, but, but defining like what is consistent, you know, in your heart, like I need five days a week or I need four, or I need six, like just making sure you know that. And then, and then holding yourself to that. It doesn't need to be perfect. Very little is perfect in life. It just needs to happen. And by it, it just means some form of showing up for yourself. That's it. Yeah. I like to talk about during races that there are those decision points where you realize if afterwards 
I don't have the results I want, I know this is one of the moments why. Like if I don't cover this move now, or if I decide to power hike when I know I could be running, or if I decide to just maintain rather than pushing with this group right here, I'll know this was that decision point. Well, we get those throughout our day too. I have this this happen where I get done with a meeting or a call and it's like, I know this is my slot to get my workout in, but I'm also hungry. You know what? I'm going to eat right now and then I'll get my workout in later. Knowing full well in the back of my mind that I know what happens the second I push my workout back. But like it's that decision point. When we get to that point where it'd be easy to just go and do one other thing or let it slide for one hour and I'll get to it later. Or the alarm goes off and it's like, you know what? I'll just work out after work. Those little decision points, they are a groove. That, that is muscle memory. That is a biological feedback process. Like anything else we do, you can refine a hand-eye skill. You can refine a physical skill. And you refine your decision-making skills as well. And the more you make that, uh, I'll get to it later decision, the easier it is to push that delay button in the future. So we have the same race decisions on a daily basis. And we all know when we're deciding to postpone what we're really doing. So we have to make sure that like my consistency is tied to beating that decision point on a daily basis until it's not a decision anymore, until I don't have to think about it. Yeah, the answer is never to to push it back till later. No, I don't never. think any time that's paid off ever for anybody at any point in time with anything in life no. at all, period. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it doesn't change the fact that it's seductive. Mm -hmm. And it's the choice that more often than not, people who are inconsistent, they make, which is the, uh, uh, not right now, I'll do it later. Yeah. And the thing it comes down to, like we've, we've talked recently about like our body, like physiologically is going to respond to work, whether it is running or it's biking or it's, your strength training, like our body, like as a whole, as an engine needs to be worked properly. Um, and then we have like the mechanics piece, right? Now, both are definitely necessary to run well. You need to run often to have good biomechanical efficiency and you need to run often or train often to have like a good engine, we will call it. But like a lot of people feel like they can't handle the run volume that they see the pros doing. I can't be that consistent. I can't, how can I, I can't even imagine doing 40 miles a week on this body. Like that's not for me. Well, consistency doesn't mean like, well, I'm going to run today and then take two days off and then run again and then take two days off because that's all my body can handle, which I understand whether you're battling an injury or you're newer to it, but it's still filling the gaps in between. Like in my opinion, your engine needs to be primed six days a week in order to be a good endurance athlete. If you can't run enough, that's fine. I have plenty of athletes, including myself, who can't. But consistency to me, if you give a shit about this sport, means six days of, of metabolic stimulation no matter how it's done. And so consistency can look very different for people who some can run all of those days. Some cannot. Again, Ryan Atkins as a recent example was running like twice a week because he was injured, but making up for it elsewhere. So I just think like, it's important to understand like consistency, consistency doesn't mean like run, 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 run. It means doing something that's going to move the needle or at least keep it there. So yeah. I wanted to make sure that was, that point was clear. You mentioned strength, strength training, and I have had a, we haven't, you and I haven't talked about this as much because our lives have been busy and we haven't been checking in with each other as much as we used to on our training. But coming off of Jacksonville, I had that torn calf and, and I missed five straight weeks of running. 
And it was the kind of thing that walking aggravated it and biking aggravated it. So I really didn't know what else to do other than assault bike with my arms only. Pools, obviously not super accessible right now. So uh, a buddy of mine recommended that I look into the program Easy Strength by Dan John. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, the, it's basically base building aerobically for running, except for strength training. It's you do it four to five times a day for a month. I'm sorry, let me start over. You do it four to five times a week, the same session for a month. Okay. And it's all done sets of two by five at between 50 and 60% of your max. So it's literally easy strength. You're not working hard. You're just getting hundreds of reps done over the course of a month. And I was skeptical, but I read why he said he did it and what it could help. And I thought, you know what? I can't do leg lifting because of my calf. I can't really load much weight at all. But if I stay at 50% of my weights on leg lifts and kind of focus on some things like front squat and Bulgarian split squat that I have shown to have weaknesses in my chain in the past, and then just do my upper body at closer to 60%, well, at least I'm doing something. And that's what I've chosen not to do with my running in the past is to do something rather mm. than the best thing. I, I would, I would do, do the best thing I could do or none. I wouldn't settle for anything less than that. And I ended up stretching it out for eight weeks, which they don't recommend, but my weights just kept going up. My weights just kept going up. With the same perceived effort, I just was able to add pounds, five pounds here, five pounds there. And at the end of it, I had done over 400 reps of all of my different lifts. And I came out the other side and I PR'd on a couple three rep maxes and I was able to get close on others. And I realized now I can start lifting whatever style of lifting I want because I put so many reps in that my form's cleaner than it's ever been. My front rack position, because I front squatted for eight weeks, is mm -hmm. way more flexible in my shoulders and my wrist than it's ever been. My lower back and core is stronger and more mobile than it's ever been. My squatting just feels better. Deadlifting, my mechanics are better. I was just better at transferring power and moving in a plane of motion. And I didn't work hard for eight weeks, but I worked every single day for eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And that's that, that, why did it take me a strength training block to reiterate to myself why consistent aerobic running is important, but it was just like strength training is so black and white because you put weights on everything and there's no hills, there's no technical terrain. It's the same every time, but it was a great reminder that you can either take advantage of eight weeks and come out with something, or you can let it slide and have to totally rebuild. It just kind of smacked me right in the face. And that's why Rich and I decided, yeah, let's do the exact same thing with our running. So I can build off of something rather than try to layer on speed onto something that's not really prepared for it. Yeah. Well, the body doesn't need much to respond to. Our bodies no. want to respond and adapt and get better. And it takes much less stimulus than people think. And you're right. I think people fall into that trap of just throwing the entire workout aside if they can't get it all in. And when really small doses can actually still move the needle. Um, I, I, I think I've alluded to this uh, a couple of times, but like in, in like a tapering sense, the amount of small doses to keep your high end fitness is, is astounding. Um, yeah, like even like talking, like let's say typically you're doing six by a mile and, and that's, you know, what you feel is your standard to get the job done that day. You can go out and do two by a mile and keep all your fitness and then also be fresher 
for later, right? So like you can even get away with things like when you're talking about your 45 minutes when you're camping, well, I mean, that's a very worthwhile 45 minutes. That's going to keep you afloat no matter what. And the same goes for strength work. You're absolutely correct. Going through the motion uh, consistently um, always yields results, always yields results. Have you ever thought of a time, like if you're listening to this, ever thought of a time in your life where you've been consistent, even though it hasn't been glorious, you haven't done anything special yet, you know, Bracken, you referred to the fact like suddenly your fitness just starts rolling. You're at this point where you're like, Hey, I think I'm starting to feel a little bit poppy and efficient in this, but have you done anything special to, to earn this feeling right now? That's caused you excitement. Well, it's seemingly no, but you still have been doing things recently, right? This would be the first time you've been consistent, even if it's not 30 miles a week. Right. Right. And now, and now you're starting to feel a little bit better. And again, I don't think your training would wow anybody as of late, No, but it's happened. No. And that leads us to the second part of Atkins statement, which really angered the everyman, but which was very poignant towards the pro level racer, which is who he was targeting, I believe in his message, which is, he said, doing little 30 to 60 minute runs a few times a week is not going to prepare you for the mountains or for these big races. And he's absolutely right. 100%. Doing 30 to 60 minute runs every single day is going to get you towards it. And then that's going to allow you to start doing exactly what we preach, which is swing the hammer hard. However, just like in anything else in life, like almost everything we do is a gateway drug, right? Like drugs are gateway drugs. You start with a small little dose and that allows you to do bigger doses as it gets more exciting and you get more comfortable with it. So there are negative consequences of the, of, of the way humans are wired, but there are positive consequences as well. And, and that is that small doses of fitness lead to bigger doses. Small workouts lead to big workouts. Like Tim, one mile every day led to a minimum of three miles every day. And it costs him no more now than it did back then. So consistently doing your little 30 to 60 minute runs leads to the point where you can do what you're doing now, which is you can only run three days a week. You're doing a lot of cardio outside of that. But when you swing it, you're not swinging 30 to 60 minute runs. You're swinging big runs that are building big fitness. And so these little consistent pieces are not the end game. They're the always game. You always keep those present and they lead to big things. That's the only way fitness happens is no one gets content. I ran 30 miles last week. Oh, I really hope in six weeks from now, I can run 30 miles again. Uh, Six years from now, I really hope I'm able to run 30 miles. No, we start wanting 40 and then we want 50. And then eventually someone wants 100 and then someone sees that and they want 120. But it all started because they ran 30 at one point. Gateway drugs are bad. Gateway workouts are good. Fantastic. They get your foot in the door. And it keeps the door open. You don't want to have to yank on the door when you're eight weeks out from a race. You want Mm -hmm. the door to be wide open, and now you start throwing some real hammers through that door. I've never thrown a hammer through a door, but... You've thrown a hammer through a door, Kirk. (laughs) Really? No, I didn't. Metaphorically. Sure. Oh, there are lots of doors. Walls, brick buildings, mountains. I I think uh, the important thing with consistency to talk about, you know, with a lot of my athletes and clients, I always ask a question that people don't get asked very often. And it is, what are your barriers to success, right? Like what is going to prevent you from being consistent? What's going to be a roadblock that's going to get in your way, right? Because ultimately you have to know your tendency as an athlete or as a human, like what trips me up? 
whether it's workouts or life or anything, like what's going to prevent me from being consistent and what has in the past. And I know we've had a version of this conversation before, but um, the biggest thing is like preventing those things from happening. So you've been dropping some pretty solid nuggets, Bracken. When it comes to consistency, throwing excuses out, like what do you, you know, ultimately if your passion is high enough, you're going to find a way to get it done. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, what are your, what are your nuggets that you want to throw the people as far as like how to abate roadblocks and be consistent when there's things in the way? What do you tell that person? I think there's an answer to, there's a counter to every argument. Every single person who's out there has gone through what other people are going through. And yet there's always the example of the people that just say, I don't care. I'm getting it done. Like, yeah. We all, we all want to believe we're special and unique. And in many ways, we are very special and we are very unique, but our life circumstances are rarely special or unique. Even if we're the only person we know with our circumstance, there are other people out there with that circumstance times two or times three. And there are those who just decide I'm going to get it done. And as soon as you accept that, as soon as you accept the fact that my circumstances are not special, unique, or noteworthy, it kind of removes the final barriers to it. Where if, right. if, if my excuses don't matter because people have gone through worse, now I'm the only reason I'm not working out. Yeah. Like my time, my sleep, my family, my stress, my kids. There are people out there who have that exact same thing or worse and they get it done. So the only variable there is you. And I find that as soon as it's personal, it's a personal attack. Mm-hmm. Pride itself or shame or ego can get you out the door. But when you externalize it, well, I can't because my my job. That's easy to, to avoid the workout. I can't because my wife. I can't because mm-hmm. my kids. I can't because blank. It has to be you. As soon as those things are equalized because everyone else goes through it, now you're the only reason you're not working out. You are the only common denominator in everything that happens to you in your life, whether it's good or bad. You are the one common denominator in lost friendships or gained friendships or a good race or a bad race or per- over or underperforming at work or your kids being born and now you have a family, you're still the only common denominator. So like pointing those fingers and making excuses are such a dime a dozen. They're so eye roll worthy. It's so true. If you care enough now, now if you finish a race and you're not happy with your performance and you don't make an excuse about it because you know why the performance happened, that's one thing. It's okay to go and show up Mm -hmm. and know you're not ready to be your best, but it's always a choice. You can tell me how crazy you're extenuating life circumstances, but I do agree with you in that capacity. Um, what do you I think about that? You are the common denominator in all your life's occurrences. You are. Like at, at some point, you just have to accept the fact that it's you. You have to take responsibility. Yeah. No matter what it is. Somebody, it's funny and interesting, like side note, but you know, I have had my runs on the, the Bachelor franchise and like, well, you're 31 and single, I think, when the last time I did a show was. And and they had talked to me. They're like, well, you know, it has, I haven't met the right one or it hasn't worked out yet. And they were like, well, Kirk, the only, the only common denominator in your failed relationships is you, right? Like, it's easy to point the finger and say she wasn't a right fit or she wasn't a right fit or this didn't work out because of that. And sure, all those are all factors, but you're still the only common denominator, which means like you still need to work on you, correct? Yep. And it, and that can be like metaphorical for, for training very much. So it's very true. You know, you are the sum of the five closest people to you. 
Yeah. How many people, if you look at it the other way, how many people want you as one of their five? Mm. And if the answer is not everyone, then identifying why, why wouldn't I be a benefit to someone's five? Oh, interesting. Like, well, what, what, is, what is holding me back from being the person that they want in the room with them? That piece right there, if you can identify it, and it might be many things, but that piece mm-hmm. is the piece that's holding you back from everything. Because as soon as you fix it, people want you in their room. Like there's a reason I want Kirk DeWint in my room. You know, there's a reason, even if he has pieces that he wants to work on himself, there's a piece that I'm missing that Kirk has. And if you become the person that people want in their room, you are going to succeed in your own life. But until you are wanted in other rooms, there's a place that's missing something inside of you. And identifying that is huge. Yeah, I agree. I'd have you in my room, Bracken. You'd be my level head. You'd be my level head that I need to come back to. You're my voice of reason for sure. Yeah. It's an endearing person to have in the room. I'll accept that. I think what, what happens is, you know, we can talk a number of facets of consistency, but people think like if anything is worth doing at all, it's worth doing big. And I agree with that, but like in the lump sum of this, it can be confused. It can be like, if anything's worth doing at all and doing big, that doesn't mean like every time you step out the door, you have to go set a PR or kill it. It means like your big thing is like checking that box for the day. And it doesn't matter if that's a like a, I nailed it a 10 out of 10 or it's a one out of 10. For perspective, I will say that I might go out and do something that I feel good about once a week where I'm like, that for sure was my best self, made me better, did what I wanted and intended to do, which means the other five days of working out for me or six days of working out means that like I was pretty apathetic about what I did, whether it's a recovery run, whether my quality day, I was a little flat. I wasn't changing the world with every workout. Even if you have one of those a week, right? Like consistency, I still showed up though. That sets me up well for performances. But it doesn't mean like, God, if you're having a bad day or you're tired or you want to make an excuse, that's okay to have a bad day and be tired and want to make an excuse. Then you just still go out and show up and give yourself a two out of 10 for the day, but you're still doing it. I just feel like people get like lost in that. Like they need to show up on their pre-workout ready to like, crush life and rip heads off seven days a week, which isn't sustainable. So if they can't rip a head off, they stay on the couch. And like, that's just like such a misconception. Most of the time I'm reluctantly putting my running shoes on and I'm like, oh, I didn't get enough sleep last night. It's all so common. And I just think like that air needs to be cleared for people. Like when you see a Ryan Atkins who just made that post, who talked about, you know, doing big things, but it comes down to consistency. I guarantee you, as much as we think he's a super freak, most of the days of his week, yes, he loves this as much or more than anybody. I guarantee it's monotonous at times and it's not flashy most of the time. So just think that's important to get across. It is. Our biggest problem, I think, I shouldn't say our biggest, one of our biggest problems as people and as athletes is a lack of scope a lack of scale with how we approach problems because the answer to a problem changes depending on how wide you're looking. And if you're looking at blinders on, 
there is a race in six weeks and I want to be my very best for it. And you get to it in the very best shape you can possibly be with six weeks. And then you turn mm-hmm. and you look at the next one and you say, all right, boom, zoned in. I have five weeks to my next race. What can I possibly do to be in the best possible fitness five weeks from now? And if you live your life to like that, problem to problem, either athletically or personally or in business, financially, whatever, you're never truly building upon something that's disjointed. But if you take a step back and you say, okay, I have races in six weeks, in five weeks, in four weeks, how can I be in the best possible shape 12 months from now? Mm. For a race 12 months from now, by doing consistent, non-sexy things now with some big swings along the way, you're going to be better there than if you get in the best possible shape 15 times until then. Because you are going to build with consistency and with long-term planning. And I think the best possible example of this in the sport of OCR is VJ Jones. Where if you took VJ Jones's training for the last four years and you took a snapshot of every single week or every single month, you may not have one weaker month that would stand out even among the top 50 performances of that week or that month in the United States. Oh, yeah. There's just nothing there outside of races that he's won. If you took the races out of it and just looked at his training log, you couldn't identify one special, crazy, outrageous thing he's done. You'd have some cool workouts, some big days in there. But if you look at the scope of four weeks and said, who's been more intentional with their last four years? I don't know if you could find someone. And you also couldn't find someone who's had a bigger ascension to the top of a sport than him. And so our problem is scope and scale. The narrower we keep our vision, the more we are apt to let little things slide in order to check the current box that we're looking at. And the wider we open up, the more we're apt to do all the little things because we know they're going to add up over time. Yeah. It's funny you say that about VJ Jones because um, I'll constantly, like when he pops up on like, let's say Strava, I and, you, and once in a while, I'll click on an athlete because I'm just curious, right? You go look at their little mm-hmm. graph of mileage and what they're doing. And I'm always underwhelmed in a sense with his mm-hmm. and a lot of other good athletes because it, but it, that has nothing to do with it. That has nothing to do with it. And you get athletes who go out there and do these big mileage days and they're real flashy and impressive. And, and you, you know, you're like, wow, that's really, really crazy. But the results wouldn't say that they're, they're any more proficient than let's say a purposefully built VJ Jones. So it's very true. I, I think that um, one of our last guests, Anthony Kunkel said it pretty well. And what is he a hundred? It's a hundred K us champ. And he's, you know, very uh, tenured and decorated in ultra running. And he's, you know, we were asking him about his training. It was kind of boring. It was like, I go out and I run at nine minute pace up my hill and down my hill every, every morning. It's, you know, what is it? three and a half miles out and three and a half miles back. And I do, it's boring. You just walk in a seat. I was like, that is kind of boring, but that's the point. And when yeah. we get caught up in like this consistency thing. And again, needing to swing the hammer hard and rip heads off every time we put our shoes on. And we're all basing that off of highlight reels, like that we're seeing on people in people's Instagram, or you'll notice if you follow apps like Strava, which most of you are on now, you'll see no comments and nothing on somebody's little recovery run. And then they'll pop a big workout and they'll be like, 10 by a mile, crushed it, descending, and they'll give a lot of detail, right? Well, you're just glancing over their recovery run. That means nothing. And then you're seeing those flashes. When you follow enough athletes, 
on Instagram or Strava, all you're seeing are flashes of greatness. You're seeing highlight reels constantly because somebody's on that day. Somebody's on that week. And you compare yourself to that and you just feel defeated. Like, I'm going to give up. Be like, no, like that person didn't want to put their shoes on five times this week either. You just, you feel sorry for yourself for no reason. I just feel there's like a trap there kind of like the expectation of like, if, if the work isn't big, it's not worth doing. And I know it's going, it's kind of backtracking on what Ryan Atkins post was about. However, I would argue that's what got him there in the first place. Yeah. So it's a little interesting. The big work's only worth doing if you do all the other work. Exactly. You have to earn your big hammer swings with day in and day out, little taps with that hammer. Otherwise, the big swings don't make a difference. Yeah. If you want a, you know, a, a comparison here, if you were trying to knock down a wall, a big brick wall, and every day you ran up to it and you swung one time as hard as you could, you might knock it down. You might hurt yourself. Who knows? It, it may not go anywhere for a long time. But if you sat there and you tapped on it and tapped on it and tapped on it a lot, a lot of times, and then you swung hard and then you kept tap, tap, tap and swung really hard and tap, tap, tap and swung really hard, you're going to get that thing down and you're going to be in shape to attack your next wall. Rather than just walking up every two or three days and swinging it as hard, the heaviest hammer as hard as you can possibly swing it. Day in and day out work would mean that, all right, now that this one's done, I've actually learned how to attack the structure of the wall. And the next wall I get to, it's going to come down a little quicker. And I might even be able to move up my big hammer swing, my big days of work, because I figured out what my work rate is. And day in and day out, day in and day out, eventually you're just the best wall knocker downer that anyone's ever met. And it's a dumb analogy, but that's the way running is. You can't come in and start throwing massive workouts with no purpose. And you can't go just minor little purpose forever with no massive workouts, but you earn your way into it. You could almost use that phrase like like death by a thousand cuts, like eventually you get through, right? Same thing could be like, you know, fitness by a thousand workouts. It doesn't necessarily matter necessarily how big and flashy they are, but as long as they happen. I'd like to challenge you a little bit here. I feel like you're doing pretty good with the analogies. Do you think you could make a car analogy if you had to on the spot about consistency and performance? Anything? I don't I don't mean to do this to you, but I'm not. I believe in you. Okay. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, okay, the longer you let a car sit, the more damage it does to it. <laughs> you get out and you drive your car every day. You don't want to take it out and do hundreds and thousands of miles each day. But if you drive it every day and then take it on some big trips, it's going to long-term have better performance and less maintenance than the the car that you let sit for two weeks at a time. Sure, it looks all shiny and nice that you keep it under a tarp, but eventually the gaskets dry out and they they disintegrate and the tires go flat and the car just doesn't even start one day because the battery hasn't been revved up and used and charged in a while. And you have to use it every single day to avoid losing it rather than let it sit in the garage for a week at a time and then take it out to the track. That would be my analogy. Right, that was pretty damn good. You're proud of yourself. I can see it. Good job. As I was saying it, I wasn't sure where I was going with it. That wasn't fair of me to do, but I'm impressed. Where do we uh, where do we want to take this conversation? I, I think I think the main thing we just want to get across is like showing up every day, no matter if it's glorious and bragworthy or something you're ashamed of, even as far as a, a workout bust, is still worth showing up for, and you and you should need to. 
It's as simple as that. And consistency trumps everything. And excuses are a dime a dozen. And I will agree with Ryan's post on that, like out the window with that shit. And if you care enough, you find a way. And if you don't find a way, then save the excuses. Then I just don't want to read about them or hear about them. And, and you can you know lie in your own grave. And that's, that's totally fine. Yeah. So, you know. That, that's the overview. I don't know. What what more specifics do you want to dive into? I don't want any more specifics. I just want to end with the idea of momentum. We've used the word momentum many times in recent episodes, and this episode can be summed up with the concept of momentum. I did one workout that could maybe be considered impressive this week, and yesterday it was because I ran 14 miles. For a mm-hmm. lot of people, 14 miles is a long way, and I was proud of that. But I ran four other runs this week that were little piddly dink around runs going back and forth in the grass, just getting time in on my feet. And you know what? This week, we can come back to this in six months, 12 months, 18 months from now. This is going to be my most important week since surgery because this was my momentum week. This was the first week that I ran more days than I didn't run. And by the end of the week, having already run three and realizing my fourth puts me over that threshold, I was looking forward to the fifth already because momentum is such a real thing. They will like there. It is not a provable force in an emotional status. Like you can't quantify emotional momentum, but it is as real as anything on this planet. And the more you do it, the more you're likely to keep doing it. And so building momentum athletically is so incredibly important because once you lose it, it's like that sled at high rocks. Every time you have to stop, the first three or four steps are so costly because your feet are slipping and there's dead weight in front of you. And it takes a huge effort to even start it moving again. And we want to avoid that at all costs in regular training. Momentum is everything. Mm -hmm. Momentum feels more momentum. Yeah. As simple as that. Yeah. I like that as an end cap bracket. Let's cap it. You're heading out to Asheville this weekend. Yes. Yes, sir. I am. This is your first race, first OCR race since Jacksonville. But since then, you've been out playing on the trails and doing long, big hammer swing race efforts. Mm-hmm. And here you are approaching a 45 to 60 minute race. What's your mindset? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, initially, uh, this season, you know, I was running, I was just in my comeback from my stress fracture in my foot. So for me to go and, and take seventh in Jacksonville, I was very happy with considering, I don't think I was one. I don't know if I could have done anything more that day and my fitness is only better now. So, um, my stay power is certainly better. My fast stuff, we're going to find out, I suppose. We, I've been doing a few things to see if we can't get that to come around. So um, I like my odds. I like my odds. I'm going to ask you a question that I ask myself before every race. It's a two-part question. I'm very interested to hear your answers. Yeah. If you end up doing very well, mm-hmm. why, why is that going to happen? What part of this race, what component will be the reason you do well? My running. And my, my, my running and my ability to switch gears between up and down quickly um, and still have some stay power on the flats because the training I've done, I have not been on my Nordic track doing long grinds and I have no access to that here. So the bulk of my training has been getting up and down hard. All of my races here have been one to 300 foot climbs up and down hard. And I've been able to not blow up and then sink my teeth into the rest of the race after multiple, multiple hits of up, down, up, down, up, down. 
And that's what Asheville sounds like it's going to be at most as far as climbs. So my current, my current racing actually outlines, if you look at like the elevation profiles, probably quite similar to what we're going to see in Asheville. And I've proven that here in the local trail circuit against some decent runners. Now I just need to do it about 20 seconds per mile faster and half the time on feet. And is that possible? I think it is possible. So I think it's just going to be my, it's going to be my running. It's not going to be a carry. It's not going to be anything like that. And if it goes wrong, where will it have gone wrong? Um, I haven't carried anything in six months. I haven't touched a thing. I'm strength training twice a week and that's good. And I'm naturally strong. So I don't see me losing any sort of significant time there, but I also don't see me seeing it being a difference maker for me at any point. Um, I've been doing my foundational strength work, so that's not a problem, but I haven't touched a lick, uh, for the first time ever. I was focused on the trail races, enjoying it. Spartan seems to not want to throw doubles at us anymore. Maybe they will this weekend surprise us, but in, you know, they've seemed within five seconds, give or take, I think trained well on a carry or not, it's not going to be that discrepant until we get to some of these longer championship races. So, uh, I would say carries would not open a door for me. Okay. It's a good question. What do you think about those answers? I like them. I like them. They're honest. All I know is that, that I've been training, um, I've been training and racing on similar type, uh, elevation profiles. And so that's a good card to have. Could I grind up a mountain right now? Nope. But can I go up down? Yep. So that's the plan, brother. We'll get out there and get after it. We're pulling yeah. for you. I'm going to see who you pick on your team. I'm going to listen to that episode. You know you're going to be on there. Yeah, and if I am, then I know my race is sabotaged because you can't pick people for shit. <laughs> listen. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I, I lit up my heart. I only picked people that we'd interviewed. Did you? R- Rich or Jack, pick me, please. you want jack to pick you he won by a lot all right all right that's all i got i got nothing else we'll see in Asheville. whoever's going looking forward to that come up and say hi all right rest up and get out there